Welcome to episode 180 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined today by Ryan Topp and Paul Noonan. Uh, a little less than two weeks away from opening day now, and we're going to start to kick things off a little bit with our, our uh, season preview here. But how are you guys doing today? Good. Go Badgers. Yeah, doing 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 great. Um, very surprised that Wisconsin won and happy to have them still around today. So that's good. <laughs> Today being the key word today. after yes. today. Yeah. All right. But like I said, less than two weeks away. A lot to talk about when it comes to previewing this year's Brewers team. So we're going to do it in two parts. We're going to tackle the pitching this week, and then we'll get to the hitters and just kind of like our league-wide predictions next week. So before we get started, though, a reminder that you can help support us on the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you the question priority here on this podcast. For five bucks a month, you get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. You also get some reporting as eligible mini pods from Paul through the Packers offseason. So head over to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and sign up to become a patron. But like I said, we're doing pitching today. And, you know, it's a good thing we're starting with this because there was actually some pitching news in the last week. We finally know who the opening day starter is going to be. Although if you were paying attention in the slightest, uh, you probably could have guessed that it was going to be Brandon Woodruff. <laughs> Not exactly rocket science or or a tough thing to figure out, unlike some recent years. Uh, I guess he's like the first. He he broke that uh, so-called curse, right, of opening day starters. No back-to-back opening day starters. So he's the first one since... I think Gallardo in what was it, 2014? Yeah, Gallardo did it every year from like 2010 to like 2014, and then yeah. it's been somebody different every year after that. Yeah, so I, I guess if if you want something that kind of maybe shows the the strength of the the pitching staff, maybe having the <laughs> same opening day starter two years in a row is uh, at least somewhere to start. So, yep. uh, like I said, probably not a huge surprise. I think. If you were doing the the math on the days off from the start of spring training, you could have counted every five days and figured out where that lands, but uh, made it official. So Brandon Woodruff will start against Kenta Maeda when they face the Twins on opening day. Uh, it, it, Corbin Burns will also be the number two starter, but after that, it, it's kind of up in the air. So I guess before we get to the rest of the rotation, uh, Ryan, your thoughts on on the top two of Woodruff and Burns? Would you have maybe thought about switching those two at all? I know it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's still a nice honor. And I guess, you know, we had Craig Council saying, you know, Brendan's earned it. So I guess mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the top of the, the, the rotation here? Well, and the other thing, too, is that Woodruff is the innings leader from last year and one sure. of the higher innings pitched guys in baseball period from last season. So I think just on on that alone, like you want to give it to a guy who has shown the durability and which is weird that we're talking about Brandon Woodruff in terms of durability. But coming off of last (laughs) year, he did have a a pretty healthy season and we didn't have to worry about things so much in that direction. Hopefully he can avoid. He seems to have that annual like oblique injury. Yeah, that July (laughs) oblique injury. Yeah. Yeah. And so hopefully he can avoid that. They are going to have to be creative because I don't think he can make like 34 starts and then potentially hopefully pitch into the playoffs. Like that seems like you were probably asking too much from him to to ask that. So they're going to have to figure out ways to back off of him and everybody else. 
though starting with a base of 73 and we know that the brewers were willing to go about 100 more that that doesn't leave too much space for them to have to try to make up with him right like they don't have to sure. to cut too many innings and and do too much and one trip to the disabled or the injured list one trip to the IL would probably be sufficient to basically get him on track. So you hope that doesn't happen, but they're going to have to be creative in shuffling things around anyway. Yeah. And they will. And they're great at managing workloads. And um, I don't think it'll be a problem for them at all. There's, they're so good at load management for everybody. I mean, we should just call it the the Ryan Braun strategy in his honor. Um, <laughs> but Woodward's a fine choice. It's really nitpicking between him and Burns, and as long as they're the two at the top in any order, I mean, that's just great. So, <laughs> who cares? It's nice to have two in a row, too. I feel like I, I thought that the the every year was a different opening day guy was, was broader than it was, but it's really not that much of a pattern over the course of the franchise at all. Um, nah. Like, Teddy Higuera started a bunch of opening days in a row. Bill Wegman started a couple opening days in a row. Ben Sheets did a whole ton of opening days in a row. Mm-hmm. He almost had seven in a row. He, the, Doug Davis broke that up, I, I assume, because he was hurt. And, yep. and like, if not for Jeff Supan, they basically would have had Sheets and Gallardo for like 15 or 12 straight years. So it's, <laughs> a, it's not a thing. We should ignore it. It's, it's, it's fake. If you want, it's all, it's all Raphael Roquet's fault, I think. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> the I think legend when he, of Raphael When he started Roquet. on opening day, he, he single-handedly started the, the line of thinking that they have terrible opening day starters routinely. And that's what everybody kind of goes back to when they mention it. And it's not true. So um, it's nice we're going back to back. That's a good good sign that the pitching staff's actually good. And uh, yeah, do Woodruff just for just so we're not confused. When we look back at this from 10 years, 10 years in the future, it'd be like, oh, yeah, back to back Woodruff's there. That makes sense. He was super awesome. Won that Cy Young Award, all that jazz. Right, right. Okay. Uh, so like I mentioned, behind that, it's still a little bit up in the air. Craig Council saying in the last week, they're probably going to see uh, how everyone does in their last you know, turn in the rotation partially. I think it's actually more like health wise and where they are in pitching limits, as opposed to like a true spring training competition to kind of fill those out. You know, the, the brewers are always going to be a little bit more strategic and not just base things off of spring training outings really. Uh, but I guess if you wanted to keep the uh, days off counting going right now, you'd have Adrian Hauser in that third spot, Brett Anderson at number four, and Josh Lindblom and Freddie Peralta have been pitching on the same day. So you could either take that as they're kind of competing for that fifth spot. They're, I think we've talked about like Lindblom and Peralta kind of being a good tandem there too. So I guess we'll just start with, you know, obviously the top two, Woodruff and Burns, great. Everybody feels good about that. But I guess, Paul, are you a little hesitant about Adrian Hauser being like the number three right now behind those guys. Yeah, I'll, active, I'll actively bet against that happening. I, I do not think he will come on and be the, the, the third starter unless they happen to run into just a great platoon matchup that day. And I don't think they will. I don't know. I might be wrong about this, but I, I'm just not seeing it with him so far. Right. <laughs> so um, I think they'll have better options there. And it, it's nice to keep him stretched out, even if you want to use him in a reliever role. But I don't think he will be the three starter. I will bet against that. I bet it's Anderson when it all, it's all said and done. I mean, ultimately, who starts there in that day makes very little difference to the long-term outcome of the season. So, uh, I don't know. It it just sort of depends what they like. What do the Twins have for left-handed bats at this point? I'm trying to think. Do they have left-handed power? That's actually a good question. Um, (laughs) Hmm. I can't say I know the Twins too well, but... Yeah, no left-handed power is popping in my mind. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of righty, but not a lot of lefty off the top of my head. Yep. I'm just trying Kepler's to picture. Kepler's not a lefty? Kepler, Kepler yeah, he is. Max Kepler is okay. a lefty. So then maybe, you know, the, the lineup thing isn't as huge of an issue for, for Hauser. Uh, you know, we've talked about those splits forever. <laughs> he struggled against the lefties. And uh, as far as we can tell, hasn't really had much success against them in spring. Take that for what you will. He, he yep. just hasn't developed that pitch, I think, is the biggest thing. If you want to, you know, just avoiding the stats for a second. But he still doesn't have that that put away pitch to get opposite handed batters out. Right. And that's always been the issue for him. So uh, I guess, Ryan, yeah. Are you feeling more Brett Anderson, number three behind those two, or does it not really matter to you? I mean, who lines up, like I said, doesn't matter that much to me. It's just a, <laughs> a question of who's going to do well behind that. They do need somebody to step up and be at least sort of an inning soaker, right? Like you need somebody to do that. But right. I mean, beyond that, they're going to have the thing that they always do, which is to mix and match, and they'll run short outings from guys, and they should be able to make that work to their advantage this year when they are trying to limit innings in general, uh, especially on the starters, that running shorter outings and having guys like Suter, Rasmussen, and Peralta behind, assuming Freddie doesn't start, which I think there is still a chance that he does. By the way, have you looked at what he's done this spring so far? (laughs) It's... Video game numbers. It is like it's yeah, it makes Devin Williams look like kind of weak from last year. He has 10 strikeouts and three and two thirds innings. Yeah, seems good. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely filthy stuff. So we'll see what they end up deciding to do with him. I still think it's probably more likely he's in the bullpen just because it gives them the flexibility. They could use him a little bit more often and it gives them another weapon out there but if they decide he's ready to start and get the uh full-time starter workload in there like that they've that he's prepared for that now at age 25 it wouldn't shock me Mm -hmm. right and we've talked about how he's just a really good compliment to you know brett anderson or brent Suter. if you wanted to do the tandem start deal you know changing up from a a soft tossing lefty to Freddie Peralta firing fastballs out of the bullpen is, is a little bit unfair, but you know, we'll take it. (laughs) And so he's kind of the ideal for, you know, what they need to do this year to kind of cover those innings. Right, Paul? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, And he's, he's like the quintessential Craig council brewer weapon of just uh, being able to come out of the bullpen for multiple innings. And uh, as a matchup nightmare, if you do run into a streak of righties, they're pretty much helpless against him. And, you know, with the flexibility to start every once in a while, it's not like Peralta, you know, we talk about stretching about making a permanent starter. It's not like he never starts. He starts, you know, a couple games a season pretty regularly. And if he can actually, you know, figure things out um, a little more consistently, that's that's where he'll end up. But he's he's a super great guy to have. I think he is a good candidate to be Devin williams E, Josh Hatery this year, um, especially... I feel like he, he would have already done that if the opportunity would have pre- presented itself a little more with injuries or anything like that. And it's good that hasn't happened, but like um, he just gives them the ability to line up just a mow down bullpen pretty much every single game. Yeah. I, I mean, he's, he's a definite weapon there, but as we talked about, and this is going to be a theme probably throughout this podcast and like the, the season to come is just covering those innings, right? So Yeah, and I want to I, I want to go back on my Hauser thing really quick because Ryan's right. The Twins have like no left-handed hitters at all. It's really insane. There's there's Kepler and that, and then they have a bunch of like light-hitting outfielders who are lefty. 
Um, they also have a guy whose last name is Garlic, which I didn't know, which is awesome. Um, looking forward to seeing that guy. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Hauser would actually be a very good matchup for them. So I, I am back on board with him being the third starter, but then never starting again, really. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the and thing is, be- if you think about in the division, we don't have a ton of left-handed power in the division at this point, especially among the top competitors you're looking at i guess the cubs do have some of it now with jock to go with rizzo Mm -hmm. but still it's it's a little bit more right-handed power there the cardinals their best guys are all right-handed they are in terms of power so right him starting against the cardinals doesn't really scare me at all yeah yeah josh bell's out of the division which is is great for adrian hauser too yeah Yeah, so that's a good point too. So maybe there's a chance that he doesn't come across that and it's just less of an issue. But you know, you're you're still gonna get the teams that know how to who have the depth and know how to kind of take advantage of that when they can. So mm-hmm. it'll be something to watch too. And I guess with that in mind, do either of you think like the Brewers should have maybe considered adding another starting pitcher or some another innings eater or something this offseason just to kind of help cover that? Well, they did just this week. They added Zach Godley. Are you forgetting about? Yeah, I, I'm not going to count Godley? Zach Godley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to count Zach Godley. So, One of the hard I, things about previewing the Brewers' pitching is it's it's very talented and it's more talented than it's been in a long time. And it's not like we have huge doubts as to Council's ability to get the most out of it either. So, in terms of like questions as to whether they should have added more or not, it's hard to second guess them. Like, they don't really get this wrong. They have a style that really relies on you know dominant bullpen and and multi-inning bullpen guys and it's hard to ever say that they should have added a starter yeah it's nice to have like a guy to eat innings once in a while when things go south which is something else they're good at by the way when things go south they tend not to throw good money after bad they tend to just punt on the game and throw some garbage starter out there to eat four innings and get the game over with mm-hmm. but unless you can in, if you're the brewers unless you can sign like a legit ace there's really no point in it <laughs> right yeah i think the guy that maybe they could have made a trade for in the offseason would have been to try to get Lance Lynn from the Rangers because he does fit that like inning eater. He has the most innings since the start of 2019 and he just is kind of steady and not super great though. He has had some pretty good ERAs the last few years here. Like he has taken a step forward, but just a steady guy who could eat innings. I I wouldn't have minded seeing that added to this mix. I think that would have given a much it would have been a, a, a boost in terms of national perception of the Brewers. Cause when I listen to national podcasts, when they talk about the Brewers, you hear a lot of, well, yeah, we think Woodruff and Burns are really good and the bullpen's really good, but that back end of the rotation is pretty shaky. And right. if that would have at least boosted that perception somewhat right. though, <laughs> like Pakoda doesn't seem worried. So nope. who am that's I to right. worry? Pakoda understands these things. Right. <laughs> right. And I guess that's where my question came from is like, for years now, right, the, the whole national perception has been, oh, the Brewers need to add a starter, they need to add a starter, and then they don't, and then everybody's worried about it this time of year, and then at the end of the year, you know, the Brewers are usually in, like, the top five in ER, team yeah. ERA or something like that. Like like you guys said, they're probably fine. A lot, but... a lot of mediocre starters are perfectly fine um, people to have to go through the order twice, and that's what they do on the back end of the rotation, and that's fine. It, it works well, and you know, Pakota sees that in its its inning projections for all the relievers. It's like, well, all these guys got these innings the last three years. They'll get these innings at the expense of the rotation, and that's why it ends up looking good for them all the time. Right. They do not ask more of their starters than yeah. 
they should. I know national pundits are always going to be bad at this, and, and that's just the way of things. But there's no reason to throw money at at media mediocrity just to make their narrative a little bit better. <laughs> sure, right. Though I mean, Lance Lynn has has been better he's, than mediocre. He's, he's good. Yes. Yeah. So it, that would have been nice, but I don't even know what did the White Sox give up to get him. Feels like it wasn't much. It feels like it wasn't that much, but yeah, that's a good point too. They did not. All right. Well, you guys mentioned the the really good bullpen, so let's shift the topic of conversation there. You know, obviously in the offseason, the Brewers lost Corey Knebel. Whether or not they could have afforded to actually bring him back, or they're just being cheap with five million dollars, probably up for debate. Uh, But regardless, he's not there anymore. But the Brewers still figure to have one of the best bullpens in the National League if not all of baseball without him. Right. So, and whenever we talk about the Brewers bullpen, it's going to start with Josh Hader. Right. So let's start Hader watch 2021 here. <laughs> we don't have to get into whether or not he's going to get traded, but let's just start with, I guess, Paul, what's, what are your expectations for him this year? Uh, you know, he's coming off a couple of years where home runs were an issue. His control still, you know, Hader like, but I guess, what are you expecting to see from him this year? I, I think I'm kind of a, a negative hater person, naturally. I'm not even 100% sure why. I think Paul, would, would yeah. you say you're a hater-hater? I'm a hater-hater, yes. Oh. I would say that. I don't, I don't hate him, but yeah. Um, it, the, the home runs bug me. I feel like it's, it is it is like a harbinger of worse things to come. The fact that people hit home runs off him so easily when they make contact just, just sort of makes me believe that if he loses anything on his stuff at all and make and contact becomes more likely... That he may go from very, you know, outstanding Josh Hader to kind of bad really, really quickly. And um, it's not like he's had a great spring training. Not that that matters. You know, if anybody's going to be working on stuff out there, it's Hader. He's got to work on his off-speed stuff way more than most people. Um, but I, I just feel like he's a ticking time bomb. It's, it's really not fair. He's been good for quite a while now. Um, and every reliever is a ticking time bomb. But uh I still think I worry about him more than most. And if he, if this happens to be his blow up year, it wouldn't surprise me that much, but you know, you got to go with the track record and the track record on him is good. His last three seasons, despite the home run problem for a season is very good as it is per usual. Um, so I expect him to be pretty much the same, maybe not super dominant, you know, from his really super great season, but you know, one of the best closers in baseball is the reasonable projection for him. And I don't have a good, uh, you know, other than my gut, I don't have any reason to say that that's not the case this year. Yeah, I think we're sort of programmed to just expect relievers to eventually fall flat on their faces. And yeah. that's smart because most of them eventually do. <laughs> aside from, you know, your your random Mariano Rivera's and Billy Wagner's, even Trevor Hoffman, you know, it, it took a long time. But eventually he reached the end of his road as well. So yeah. guys are generally not great relievers for you know 10 to 15 years so it's good to get value out of a guy early on and then move on from them before the the bill comes due i guess yeah and i think there is a a substantial chance that that happens with hater i'm just not sure it's we're ready for that to happen yet at this point (laughs) and so you hope not to be holding the bag when it eventually does come but they're probably going to be looking You've been big on this, Paul. They're going to be looking to try to cash in on him at some point. And if they're out of it, which I don't think any of us expect, but at the trade deadline, that would be if he's still doing well and they are out of it. I would think Josh Hader would potentially be a guy they would look to move and fetch a huge price. Agreed. 
He's also he's such a weird pitcher. Like it's weird to miss bats as much as he does, but then give hard contact as much as he does. Like if you're if you're just missing a little bit on your pitch, like you should still generate like weak contact or foul offs. It shouldn't get crushed every time. It's it's really bizarre. It's because of where he lives, right? It is. Top it's of because zone. of being top up of the, in zone. the zone. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's still weird. I don't know. It it, it bothers me. Um. Hopefully he's great again. But it it's it's so nerve wracking watching him. Not it's it's not uh, <laughs> uh K Rod um, nerve wracking yet. Not but... it's a different kind of nerve wracking than K Rod nerve or Turnbow nerve wracking. Um. Those are painful. Um. But uh, it's it's still nerve wracking. So. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you guys. Like the days of just having Josh Hader come in and feel really comfortable with a one-run lead are probably over. Uh, even though he's still legitimately really, really good, as you guys said. But it's just that I don't know that feeling, like Paul said, the ticking time bomb, and the, the feeling that it could happen at any moment, really. And you know, we've been playing this should the Brewers trade Josh Hader game for a year and a half, two years yep. now because of that fear, right? Like you. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to ride like GameStop stock, right? Like you're like, should I get out now? <laughs> uh, it's still going. We'll we'll see. But yeah, it. I don't know. I I don't see a way that they trade him at all this year. I think he's still really good. But I guess the next question is: Is Devin Williams now like the top of the pecking order in the bullpen, or is that still Josh Hader? No, I mean Hader is still the guy that they are going to rely on at the end of games if for no other reason than like <laughs> they want to give him the saves because frankly like he he's earned it he's earned that right and that's how you get paid so Craig Council has been pretty open about that that like he thinks that's important and I totally get it it's one of those things where this is like a conflict between being a truly sabermetric uh and try to optimize absolutely everything team and trying to like not piss off players. And <laughs> yeah. those things often do come into conflict. And I think that one of the undersung aspects of Craig council that, cause everybody talks about his tactics and all of that. He has been so good. Think of the issues that we've heard coming out of the clubhouse in terms of people being unhappy and, upset about roles and whatever. Can you remember any of it? And basically throughout his tenure, it's been almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if you think really back, has. he, he does a good job of keeping, and that's probably has to do with communicating clearly with guys, telling them what the expectations are, what we're doing, why we're doing it and trying to get buy-in on stuff that has to be a big part of it. So, but there, there does come a point when you have to, with somebody like hater, like, Guys get paid based on saves, at least through arbitration. Now, after that point, they don't. So that kind of frees <laughs> things up because it, once you're in free agency, no, teams are now paying you for how good of a reliever you are, not based yeah. on saves, which, you know, that just goes to show you the arbitration system is hopelessly screwed up. Well, it's very stupid. Yes. Also, the, the fact that going back to the question, I actually think making him the closer is a tacit acknowledgement that he is no longer the the most valuable reliever on the team, that they value the guys who get out of jams more than that, and Williams and I suspect Freddie too, being used in the fireman roles more are uh, saying more about them than Hader being in the closer role is saying about Hader. The other thing about putting Hader in the closer role is, yeah, it ramps up his arbitration number quite a bit, but if you're going to, if you do 
think that you might trade him at some point. Um, and I think it's been at least a possibility for a couple of years, depending on how things have gone during the season. You have basically taken a bunch of money and pushed it into a guy that you're going to not have on the team anymore anyway. And, you know, if you make Devin Williams the closer, he gets more expensive. If Freddie's the closer, he gets more expensive. So by making Hayter, who's, you know, he's older, he's more likely to be off the team sooner rather than later. Um, you're, you're pushing a bunch of your financial um, issues onto that guy and keeping them off of other people. So, Well, the thing with making Freddie the closer would be that they already have him under contract. He's locked in for the That's next true. What, yeah, six years. So yep. there's maybe a little bit of flexibility there, though. I don't think they I think they would view that as a waste of his abilities. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I think other, there are some other teams that would perhaps pursue that as an option, but this is not one of them. <laughs> and it also may not be an ideal role for his particular brand of uh, being effectively wild, I guess you could say, <laughs> right? Like you want a guy who's a little bit more command oriented in that role when the, the pressure is on and you're trying to protect a one run lead in the ninth right. inning versus East runners. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Peralta coming in in the middle innings to just like try and shut down a lineup. Well, yeah, but if he if he struggles and gives up a, a run or two every once in a while. Okay, fine. That's that's part of doing business, but that starts to become a much bigger issue if you're having trouble commanding the ball and you start walking guys with one run leads. That's how people start flipping out on closers and you know deciding that they suck even if they're fought just fine. Right. All right. Back to Hater for a second. We got our first Patreon question. It comes from Jay Google, of course. Suck it, Steve. There you go. <laughs> so Jay's asking about Josh Hater. And we kind of addressed this a little bit, but maybe asking it in a different way. Jay's asking, do you think the Brewers should go back to using Hader in the role he had in 2018 compared to 2019 and 2020? So, you know, that that fireman role in the middle-ish innings, you know, that that seventh or eighth inning as opposed to just ninth. And I think maybe something that we haven't talked about, like those four or five out outings. Uh, do you think that's a better idea for him, Paul? No, I do not, actually. I would keep him as the closer for a couple of reasons, uh, one of which is the home run propensity. It, it plays much better when there's nobody on base. And so I would much rather have him starting innings than coming in with um, the bases loaded to get out of a jam at this point. Yeah, he might escape it by striking out the side, but he also might put the game out of reach with a, with a meatball upstairs. Um, I think he giving him a little bit of leash to work through a whole inning actually works pretty well for him. And given that they have Williams to escape jams like that, I don't see any reason to push him back. It's uh, they have guys to cover that role and I'm okay. Leaving Hader with his slightly diminished stuff as the closer. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. What you were saying before too, Paul is that it, what he does now probably does play better in the ninth inning than it does in, in those middle innings. So, and I don't think he's much of a, I think the multi-inning thing is probably pretty much done for him. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Like that seemed to have caused a lot of extra wear and tear and diminished his effectiveness. And it's probably time to just sort of make him more of a traditional closer at this point. And that's fine. It's not, it's not a sin against nature to do that. Like if, <laughs> if a guy can be good in a role and this is a big part of, let's be honest, this is a good thing about Craig council is that if a guy is good in a role, he's willing to use a guy that way and not necessarily, you know, worry about, well, we could get maybe get more out of him doing this. It's like, well, <laughs> right. no, you, you take what you've got. And yeah, you, you may try to push it at points a little bit, but you, you just sort of 
are happy with what you have and, and let guys be in a position to excel. Yeah, we don't need to prove any sabermetric points with our pitcher usage. If a guy happens to excel in a role that looks like a closer, then use him that way. <laughs> yeah. And like with Hayter, that goes back to the whole, is he a starter or a reliever thing, right? Like for a long time, he was seen as as a starting prospect, but then he just excelled so much in his role that council was just like, okay, we'll just roll with it, right? Mm-hmm. Why screw with success? So. Exactly. Exactly. All right. I kind of brought up Devin Williams before. He's obviously, you know, the other other big piece of this bullpen. Phenomenal uh, rookie year, one rookie of the year, and reliever of the year in the shortened season. Obviously unlikely to repeat what he did last year, which was what, giving up all of one run, one or two <laughs> runs. Uh, probably not going to happen over a full season. But I guess my question to you guys then is how much do you need to see this year before you're convinced he's legit and last year wasn't just like a one-off fluke? Not much. I'm, he's that pitch is amazing. And as long as he can throw it without his arm exploding, he'll be good. It's, it's really kind of as simple as that. It, it, the thing with Devin Williams is uh, aside from that changeup, that all world changeup that he throws, he throws gas too. And, uh, just with the stuff there like that, there's no reason to think he's going to be anything other than awesome until he starts to encounter, you know, arm troubles or anything like that. He'll be great. Um, This is not a fluke. This is not, um, you know, some guy with mediocre stuff grinding out 45 saves because of luck and, um, you know, matchups and whatnot. This, this was a guy who was truly dominant with a pitch that every metric we have um, behind that pitch uh, with rate, contact rate, every single thing about it is elite. So as long as he's got that pitch, he will also be elite. No reason to doubt it. Yeah, and it is a very underrated part of his game that he does basically throw 100. Like, he, yeah. he runs it up that high, and he can command it well enough that that basically is an unbeatable combination, and it works really well against right-handers and left-handers. That's a big right. part of this, too, is you want to have something that can neutralize opposite-handed uh, hitting. And so often with relievers... They don't have that because most commonly the thing that neutralizes the opposite handed hitter is the changeup. And relievers tend to be, if you're a two pitch reliever, it's almost always fastball slider or maybe fastball curveball. Fastball changeup is not as common, but is a thing that I think will definitely work to his advantage in terms of getting both sides of the plate out. Right. Obviously, the, the stuff is there. I guess then the question is are there durability? concerns at all with him i mean you saw even at the end of last year he went down with the shoulder thing right before the playoffs so ryan are you concerned about him making it through a whole season oh absolutely that is (laughs) yeah and but that's it's the same for any pitcher who has shown any sort of hiccup in health and especially concerning is the shoulder thing i mean elbows are are one thing elbows are pretty correctable even though like Devin Williams has already had Tommy John surgery. So you worry about that a little bit though. Second Tommy John is not the uh, death sentence. It used to be like guys are coming back and having success after a second Tommy John now. So it's not quite as bad as it used to be, but shoulder is definitely concerning because shoulders just do wreck careers still. And guys granted have gotten a lot better at preventing shoulder injuries. That was a big point that was made. I think in the arm by Jeff Passan, where he talked about the fact that, that guys doing like the various exercises and like resistance training, you know, using those, like the rubber band, basically uh, Mm -hmm. that that has really improved guys shoulder health. 
And so you don't see nearly as many catastrophic shoulder injuries as you used to. And that's good. But you do see more even elbow injuries at this point because there's just not much that can be done to keep the elbow intact because the human body wasn't meant to throw super hard at a repetitive motion over and over and over like that. Like we weren't designed to do this thing. So you're always kind of fighting nature on that. You're, there's always going to be a concern, like when I mean, it's, especially when it's a shoulder. Devin Williams has a history of a checkered injury history already. He's had Tommy John surgery. Shoulders are bad. But I also just urge everyone to go and grab a baseball, head outside, and try and throw that change up and see how your arm feels afterwards. Um, <laughs> it is. I, I, I have done it just to see what it would feel like. And if I could, I mean, I, I have the weakest arm in the world. I, 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 it, it's not even close to the same thing. But it, it is bendy as all get out. It is a, I mean, if it was easy to throw, everybody would throw it because it's amazing. But yeah, it's going to be a concern with him as long as he's pitching because of his history and that weird pitch that is so effective. Yep. Right. Yeah. It, fingers crossed he makes it all the way through because obviously he's such a key part. Uh, if there's good news, though, it's that, as we've talked about, there seems to be plenty of depth, uh, even if some of the guys are sort of anonymous in nationwide stature. But, you know, guys like Justin Topa have been getting a lot of press this spring. Uh, both from local writers and national outlets. You know, if you saw that piece in the athletic about how the brewers are kind of using that mysterious pitching lab to kind of bump <laughs> out guy after guy like that, uh, you know, we kind of maybe poke fun at, you know, the, the myth mythical pitching lab and the magic done there. But obviously, you know, you look at Topi, you look at Corbin Burns, other guys, like they're getting results. Right. So uh, I guess, what is it, Ryan, about what the Brewers do that kind of maximizes this? Well, they seem to have a very granular look at this. They have definitely started targeting people. You look at the, the way they went after Ethan Small really does stand out in terms of they are looking at not just what guys throw, but the 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 mechanics behind it and like what the spin rates are. And we heard rumors way back when now that like, there are people that thought Ethan Small's spin rates made him like an elite, elite prospect. And so the Brewers basically bet on that being the case. And so they are looking for the 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 raw materials of pitching and then looking to play those things up. They also seem to have a, a pretty decent knack of avoiding injury. Knock on wood here. <laughs> They seem to have some insight into how to keep guys healthy and how to avoid major problems that way. So if you look at their history of guys, say, that have had Tommy John surgery, it's not as extensive in this system as you see in other places. So I think they do have a pretty good grasp on that, but they're also very jealously guarding the secrets of it. They have they definitely have things they're looking at, but they don't want to tell anybody about them, even though I imagine a lot of teams have, if not totally figured out what they're looking at and how they're doing things, they at least have a pretty decent idea of what their parameters are and how they're doing things. They're, the Brewers are a science-forward team and have been for quite some time. Uh, when there is a development in pitcher development, hitter development, whatever, they're going to seize on it and use it. And they're one of the best teams in the league at at tracking, you know, what works, what doesn't in a very scientific manner. So, um, yeah, we can't see inside the pitching lab, but none of this is a surprise. And, you know, we have from 
books like the MVP machine and, you know, driveline's existence, we have some idea about, you know, the general change in how pitching development has gone. There are definitely behind the scenes things that have happened that we don't see that teams keep proprietary for good reason. And I'm sure the brewers are one of them, but you know, this is very different than how it was 10, 15 years ago where, you know, you have your basic pitching drills and you go out there and you have guys throw them and that's how it is. This is, this is okay. We're working on this specific aspect of your delivery. Go sit in front of a camera. We'll track it. We'll tell you, you know, at a very minute level, how to fix what's wrong, go throw a bunch more times and fix what's wrong. That's how this works now. And it's a, it works far better than it did any other time in any part of baseball in the past and will only continue to get better. Yeah. Things like grips and hand angles and all that are, are now explored in such minute detail that guys are watching those things. And like, if you listen to, and I know, you know, okay, Trevor Bauer sucks, but (laughs) in terms of the way that he does pitching development and specifically pitch development, it is a forward thinking way of doing things and he does have like a system and other guys are mimicking that and and trying to do the same sorts of things to develop up their pitches and to make them as effective as they possibly can be and not just on an individual basis but getting them to play well with each other so that you get good uh deception as to what you're throwing and and to to make it as hard on the batters as possible they're really working on a very granular level at this point and that's great right yeah, like you see the the pitching ninja gifts where the ball just splits off in three different directions from the same point where the batter has to make a decision, and it's just incredible what they're doing yep. now. Tunneling and, is a big deal. Yeah, the column of milk is what they talk about. Yeah, I remember when tunneling first came out, and I was, yeah, I was like, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. If your stuff's nasty, does it really matter that much? No, no, I'm wrong. It matters actually a ton. Um, and it's mostly what I think people work on now is having pitches that all appear the same until they're not. Yep. Right. Exactly. And and like you guys mentioned too, the Brewers are far from the only team doing this now. I know the Yankees pitching system has gotten a lot of pub from at least the writers I follow and they have an awesome nickname for it. They call it the gas station, which is great. It's a nice little pun there. It's good. It's fine. Uh, Come on. It's a good dad joke. I'm not giving the Yankees credit for anything. (laughs) <laughs> well, and there, there was a thing. I'm sorry, I can't cite what this was. It just came out this last week. They were talking about teams that have done the most in terms of adding velocity for pitchers, and the Brewers were on top of the, the heap. They were. I think it was the Athletic, but I could be wrong. Oh, yeah. I think I it was think, Eno Saris. Right. Yeah. It was Eno. It was. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the Brewers being a leader in that really helps develop those under the radar arms and that depth. You know, we. Pulled up the Pakota projections a few weeks ago, and what was it like? Twenty guys with an ERA uh, minus that was uh, fantastic, above average. Above so, average, yeah, yeah. So I mean, y- you just have that many guys you can throw at the innings issue this year. I think that uh, really works in the Brewers' favor and is something to look forward to. Um, I guess speaking of the multi-inning rules, another thing we've kind of talked about in recent weeks but it looks like the Brewers are going to be using multiple people in those multi-inning roles to kind of help cover all of those innings, you know, whether it's that Lindblom Peralta combo at the back end of the rotation, Brent Suter, you know, Drew Rasmussen's been throwing 30 to 40 pitches per outing to kind of prep for that role as well. But I guess, Ryan, who else do you see being able to fill those multiple innings? I know we kind of had this divvied out a couple of weeks ago, but are, are there any other names as we do this episode 
that we should keep an eye out for the multi-inning deal. Yeah, guys a little bit further down, maybe. I guess you'll see it from Eric Yardley. You'll see it from Justin Topa, I think, somewhat. Uh, maybe Ray Black a little bit. I I think he's more of a one-inning type guy. Yeah. But a little bit further down the road, I do think we potentially are going to see it from Alec Bettinger. Uh, Dylan Files hurt, but we would have potentially seen it from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethan Small, maybe later in the year, I think he could make a big run this year up the system because last year is somewhat of a lost year for him. He was only just working in the uh, in the uh, alternate site. But I think once they start playing games, we'll see him potentially make a, a run of effectiveness. And you know, maybe uh, Aaron Ashby, too, though I have doubts about the command working as well there. But I think they have a bunch of these guys that could potentially do this. Yeah, uh, I guess how sustainable is that over a 162 game season, though? I mean, obviously, there's going to have if you have all these multi inning guys, you're going to have to manage the days off and, and juggle all of that. I guess, Paul, are you worried about that over a full season or are you all in on Craig Council's ability to kind of handle that? Oh, I'm all in on that. And I don't think it's actually that hard to manage. Yes, when you go multiple innings, you'll often need multiple days off. But there's so many ways to get through a game. You you can drive like Woodruff a couple more innings versus your other starters. Um, you can just patch together one inning relief appearances. You can play platoon splits for a little bit. Um, it's it's actually not as hard as I think it's made out to be. And the more you the more guys you have like this, the better. Uh, the easier it gets. Um, I, we got into this. Mo- so first of all, Josh Hader I think should only go one inning at this point. But I think he is kind of of an archetype where that does work better at this point where. You kind of worry about injury with him. Um, he is homer prone, but most pitchers can go multiple innings without too much trouble. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> um, the difference between facing three batters and five or six batters uh, isn't huge, especially if your manager is smart enough to give you those extra days off once in a while. And I think we treat it as a bigger deal than it actually is. Um, it's always like a talk radio topic, like, oh, can you should you use this guy for multiple innings? Most of the time, the answer is yes. Um, and most of the time, it should be governed by times through the order more than it should be workload. Uh, you know, exceptions are out there. But like Brett Studer can pitch, I think, kind of forever and, and not get hurt or tired. That's fine. And he's, I would say, the other end of the extreme example. You know, he, he throws 80s and his arm's not going to fall off anytime soon. And um, it's really about effectiveness for him more than it is wear and tear. So um, you get guys like that and you can really drive them into the ground if you really need to do so. So they have a good mix of all of those types of players and and council should be able to mix and match with no trouble. I guarantee you that Craig council privately and the other guys in the the top end of this are not at all upset about the idea of having the, uh, the runner on second to start in extra innings because Mm -hmm. that is shortening games very effectively. And this is the biggest problem with trying to rely on the bullpen this way is if you run into a series of games where maybe you go to extra innings a couple times or you have a starter get blown up early and then you're in extra innings the next night, you can get in a really bad shape really fast. And this just does remove that, you know, what was the longest game last year? Like 12 innings, maybe 13. Yeah. I don't know. Something like that. This gets rid of that 14, 15 inning arm grinder. It it really does almost make that, a non-issue and it turns a lot of you 12 inning games into 10 inning games too Mm -hmm. so that probably from their perspective from how they want to manage things i don't know aesthetically if they like it or if it's baseball (laughs) purists or whatever but from a tactical standpoint i'm sure they are not sad at all to see that coming back this year 
right. All right. Uh, we got a couple questions, more questions to get to before we wrap things up here this week. Our next Patreon question comes from Adam Post. I actually kind of like this one. It's sort of like an under the radar thing. He's asking which pitcher could be this year's David Phelps as in pitch decently well for the Brewers for part of the season, then be traded to another contender and sabotage their playoff chances. (laughs) So of course, David Phelps, very good for the Brewers last year, got them a couple of arms and a deal back and then proceeded to ruin Philadelphia's life for the rest of that season. So I guess, uh, Ryan, anybody on the roster who's, who is like that sell high and watch them implode somewhere else candidate. Yeah. I think that, uh, Yardley and black stand out from that perspective of if they get off to a really hot start and are really doing well, that potentially you could sell high on them. I don't know that they're going to be looking to do that this year, the same way that they were last year. I think last year they knew they had the flexibility and, just by virtue of the fact that half the teams in the league were making the playoffs and they knew that it (laughs) sort of lowered the stakes. And I don't think they viewed last year themselves as real contenders. I think they looked at it and said, yeah, we're really not that great a team. So they were willing to do that thinking, well, we could still make the playoffs without him and we think he's over his head. So let's go ahead and cash him in for some marginal prospect that we like. And that was exactly what it worked out to be was a young arm. Right. So, or it was young arms. Right. Yeah, yeah, multiple, multiple guys. Arms. Yeah. yeah, yeah, They're trying to recreate the uh, the Adam Lynn trade that brought in Freddie is basically what right. they're trying to do. <laughs> you get enough seventeen year old lottery tickets, one of them's yep. bound to hit every once in a while, right? Yep. Yeah. Anyway, the correct answer is Josh Hader, but I agree with Ryan too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could see that though. They trade him to the Phillies, and he automatically implodes because mm-hmm. the Phillies bullpen is cursed. Yeah, All everything right. the Phillies touch just turns to crap. Yep. All right. Before we go, one last one. A reminder, we put out a call for questions on our Twitter account at MKE Tailgate every week as well. So even if you're not a patron, reply to that tweet. We'll try to get your question if we can. You can also tweet questions to us individually. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. All right. So we've got a Twitter question from McNam003. It says, uh, Parents are celebrating being fully vaccinated with a trip to Vegas. Good idea. <laughs> Should they put money on Burns or Woodruff uh, to win the Cy Young Forum? I, 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 I'm reading this two different ways. So uh, I guess A, Burns or, or Woodruff, as in one of those two is going to win the Cy Young. So who do you pick? Or what are the odds that one of those two wins it? I guess, Paul, what's your take on that question? Um, I like Burns' ceiling more, and when you're talking about Cy Young, that's what I go with. So uh, I, I was trying to quickly look up his odds, and I cannot for various reasons on the computer I'm on right now. But uh, I also would wager his odds are longer. Maybe not. I'm not sure about that. But um, Burns is your man there. Um, you know, this is a, a one-spot award, and you got to go with the upside on that. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly going to be my response too. Was the odds are they have to be better for Burns? So. And you take the upside and you take the the better odds in this case. So if you can find a book that is willing to make that bet, which I don't know, like, <laughs> do books go that far down the list? Like, can you bet any uh, one of maybe. like 50 guys? If you can find someplace to make that bet, yeah, I would I would take Burns there. All right. So right now on the, the random Internet site I pulled up, uh, <laughs> top odds by far. Uh, Jacob deGrom plus 500, obviously. Well, yeah. Uh, did you guys see that he is now throwing like 101 yeah it's nuts yeah that's not fair 
And he has, his fair. slider, his slider is now faster than his fastball was when he came up. <laughs> that this does not like happen. A, this is like totally weird. The, the adding velocity, right? Yeah. yeah. Guys no, don't it, do it, that in their like mid dumb. to late twenties once they're in the big leagues. Usually the standard is when you come to the big leagues, you throw as hard as you were ever going to throw. Like the day you get called right. up. Most guys don't improve from that point. There's always been exceptions to that, but in general, that's sort of the rule. And DeGrom is just like, nah, I'm I'm going to like remember it used to be Cindergard was like the hard thrower. Now like DeGrom throws yeah. harder than Cindergard. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess the, the the rest of the top five there, but beyond DeGrom, Trevor Bauer, number two, uh, plus 700. Max, Max Scherzer, plus 950, always a good bet. Walker Bueller. Can we short these? Because I would short the hell out of the Max <laughs> Scherzer one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you, Darvish, with San Diego at number five. So yeah. you moving to the bigger park with I've the I've got Woodruff at 2,500 and Burns at 3,500. Oh, take Burns in that. Yeah. Yeah. Though, sure. I, honestly, at those odds, you know, throw a little money on both. Yeah. You know, the, that's the, the why not both girl gif. Why not both? Yeah. Like, can it, no, yeah, exactly. Uh, I I just don't know if they're going to get enough hype. And obviously, you know, the I think the Dodgers and Padres race is going to have a huge impact on that NL race. And whoever wins that division is probably going to have the Cy Young winner. But. Yeah, but we're also a softer division, so like they That's could potentially true. rack up some really good numbers with a lot of you know games against the Pirates, and I guess the Reds lineup isn't trash, but yeah, yeah, like yeah. I don't think that the Cardinals lineup isn't that deep, and the Cubs have you know Cubs problems, so <laughs> Cubs have Cubs problems. Cubs had to bring back Jake Arrieta to fill out a rotation, so they're, yeah. they're struggling a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I I would, you know, you know me. I love Corbin Burns. If you could lay down some money on that and make a make a ton if that happens, yep. hey, we're happy for two reasons then. So Indeed. go for it. All right. Uh, that's all we have for questions this week. But we do have a new patron that we want to shout out. A reminder, when you sign up to become a patron, you do get your name mentioned here. And luckily, this is a name, Ryan, that you can't butcher. So who do we have this week? Uh, Ted Johansson. Oh, wait, Johnson. Ah, We were making the jokes earlier about the fact that the linebacker from the Patriots from the the 90s, he was in the like the Super Bowl team that the Packers beat in with Favre, right? He was on that team. Yeah, Uh, maybe that would have been the start of that run, I think, for him. Yeah, that's right. He was around forever, though. They had a lot of good linebackers. The Patriots did in that era in the 90s and 2000s. Sayal, Vrabel. Yep. But yeah, he was thank on you. that team. Thank you, Ted Johnson. Not the Thanks, linebacker. Ted. We, I mean, it could be the linebacker. It we don't could know. be the linebacker. <laughs> we don't know. It's not like maybe yeah, this, we don't know for sure. Paul, maybe this is one of yours. Could you be. don't know. Yeah, get him once in a while. I mean, he's All from right. <laughs> uh, Ted Johnson is from the Bay Area, so probably not listening to a Brewers podcast. But you know, yeah. maybe, maybe could be. Brewers fans are everywhere, man. We're we're huge in uh, Brazil. Is that what the numbers say? I forget. <laughs> yeah, I Brazil and. Oh yeah, I've I've got it right here. Hold on, because we do have some we have some interesting places that people listen to this podcast from. Steve always loved looking at that stuff to see like where the random places that. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are uh, we are huge in Germany. Ah, we are the number. All the Bundesliga talk that we did last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we are exactly like Hasselhoff. 
<laughs> we are we're in the top actually you know in france we're in the top 25 baseball podcasts oh we so. oui, we oui. there we go <laughs> 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 uh-huh, nice. baguette. yeah okay cool <laughs> Uh, and and we just dropped in France. I was going to say, so. <laughs> <laughs> though, the chances that it's somebody from France listening to us in France is probably pretty low, though. You know, True. maybe maybe somebody just decided that they wanted to like the Brewers thing. Germany, that makes sense. Like the beer, that makes the, sense. The beer aspect. They listen to three sense. minutes and we've got no home brewing tips and they get very disappointed and leave <laughs> us a negative review. Speaking of reviews, we could use some uh, some good ones. We did get yeah. another uh, good one a little while ago during spring training. So uh, send those good reviews. We we love them. Yeah, we might even read absolutely. it on the air. <laughs> Will we? Yeah. I don't know. We, Steve used to do that occasionally. He'd okay. also read the bad ones. I mean, that's good for a laugh. We'll have to bring that back. No, 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 right. no, 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 no. We're not incentivizing that. <laughs> We're not. If, incentivizing you, if you leave a bad review, I'm absolutely not reading it on the podcast. If you read a good review, the next person to leave a good review, I'll read on the next podcast. That's fine. <laughs> All right. There you go. So there's your incentive uh, reminder to leave a review, whether that's, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts. Anywhere you listen to the podcast, leave a review for us. If it's a nice one, Paul may read it on the air. <laughs> yeah, if it's a mean one, then no, absolutely not. No, only you will ever see it. Do not do yeah. it. Five there stars only. <laughs> and while you're there, please do hit subscribe on that podcast. You'll get a notification every time our episode drops every week. Uh, with that said, this has been part one of our annual season preview. Join us next week. We'll go through the hitting side of things, including what the Brewers should do with someone like Big Dan Vogelbach. I will fight to the death for that man, and these guys <laughs> probably will not. Probably not. So uh, we'll we'll get to Big Dan and all the other bats uh, in in the next week. In the meantime, we'll see you then. Hope you stay well. We'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tales. Today being the key word. Today. After today. Oh, they're going to beat Baylor, guys. They're I'm, I'm putting down that marker right now. They're going to beat Baylor. You think Baylor has like a, a COVID infection before the game or something? Or? <laughs> I just don't think they're necessarily that good. Okay. Mm, okay. I like your confidence. There, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that in if they win, and conveniently, Ryan is the one that edits these. So if they lose, <laughs> we'll just drop this part out, and you'll never hear from it.